Well, maybe it won't be, and I just think it is. We'll find right. out. We're recording. All right, coming down in three, two, and one. What's going on, FA Nation? My name is Justin Fensterman, along with John and Pemba and Matt Sells. The family is with you, and this is another edition of the Family Times Podcast here on FantasyAlarm.com. Guys, what is going on? How's the week been? Uh, so far, so good. Um, big day for NASCAR community. The schedule for 2021 came out. Uh, I will gripe about that with Dan Malin on the podcast tomorrow. Um yeah, other than that, just kind of a standard week with all four sports going on. Baseball going to the playoffs. Stanley Cup was awarded. NBA Finals started. Busy week. A very busy week. Yeah, very, very busy week, like you said. And we're, you know, we're in the middle of the football season. You know, we're going into week four, you know, a quarter of the way uh, basically through. And, you know, it's more now... Uh, trying to like reevaluate some teams that I'm, I'm dealing with. Obviously, we talk a lot about that on Alarm After Hours. You know, I feel like now we sort of have a maybe a better sense or a better projection of like, okay, this is how this offense is run. These players are good. These players are bad. You know what kind of role. You know, I'm not expecting any sort of dramatic scheme changes. You know, unless coaches get you know get changed or anything. So. I feel like, you know, we've had enough games now. I know it's only been three to really get a, you know, a competent sample size, we'll say, of things that we can start paying attention to. Yeah, it's one of those situations where you wonder how long to wait until a player's just not producing, a player's just not that involved in their offense, they're not getting targeted. It's okay to drop that player. Some people that I know are still hanging on to the injured Brian Edwards, and I really don't understand why. For me, someone that I really like, Jack Doyle. I had to get rid of him. You know, I, I'm fine with carrying two tight ends. I had to get rid of Jack Doyle. I have a very nice combo of Ebron and Doyle in a few leagues, and I had to do that because I needed some, a spot on my roster to be expendable. So in that regard, now's the time when you can really start seeing some kind of consistency, and that will determine whether or not a player is just not getting in good spots and their quarterback is missing them, but they're being targeted heavily, let's just say, or they're just not involved in the offense, they don't have standalone value, and they are expendable, making your roster also expendable in at least one spot as it should be. Yeah, or you can be also, a Leonard Fournette helps. owner and yeah. have to play pick and choose which week they're going to be hot and which week they're Yeah. They're oh, it's, a, ter- it's played, a terrible, it's a terrible week. I Fournette in week two, and he had a huge week, and then I played Fournette in week three because I figured, hey – He's now going to be the starting running back. You know, week one was his introduction to the offense, and they were easing him in. And they went to Denver, which I figured might just be they might run it a lot in the second half because I figured they would be up pretty big by the second half, which they were. And then turns out Ronald Jones took by far the bigger portion of the uh, running back work in week three. And I set two guys that I, you know, ultimately wound up, you know, doing better than Fournette. So it's like a... It's a bad spot to be in right now with Leonard Fournette, and uh, Bruce Arians isn't really helping out. I think his quote was, they're just going to run with the hot hand, which is always a fantasy football owner's favorite term. I think as long as Ronald Jones doesn't fumble the football, I think I'm starting to now believe a little bit more that maybe Arians is right when he says this is sort of the Ronald Jones backfield. Um, You know, he, he preached it week one, we saw it. Week two, he fumbled. And Fournette sort of got a little bit more of the carries, but also ultimately Fournette's production was only due to the, you know, the end of game touchdown run that he had there or whatever it was, right? Well, like, that's true. It was like a 40. Yeah, you know, so like if you take that away, and I and I know you can't take away stats because they happened, and Fournette has I mean, that it's what made Blake Bortles so dang good for fantasy with yeah. all the garbage time touchdowns he got. Yeah. <laughs> so like without that, I mean, what was Fournette really that week? So um, you know, I, I'm I'm a Ronald Jones owner, and I was terrified after last week uh, or two weeks ago because of what happened. But I had no other option but to play him again uh, and going into week three. And Arian said the whole time, like Ronald Jones is our running back. I'm like, all right, I'm like I'll trust you here. And he came through, leading the team in carries, and wasn't an awful start as a you know a, a flex spot flex spot in a league that has two flexes. So um, you know, it worked out there. But what I also like about this now is. Uh, we can sort of start looking ahead at schedules and maybe guys that get off to slow starts 
It helps identifying maybe some buy low candidates. You know, Justin and I, we talked a lot about, you know, what's going on with the Houston Texans and everybody's down and all the Houston Texan players. Uh, and they, you know, they start off the schedule, the season with one of the worst schedules, you know, that you could really go up against Kansas city, Baltimore and Pittsburgh. And, and now, now it opens up for them. They have Minnesota this week, assuming that game gets played right now. It's supposed to, they still have two games against Tennessee. Who's, defense has been terrible two games against Jacksonville whose defense has been terrible the Colts I'm not really buying their defense yet they've had a super easy schedule to begin the year uh, as well so Houston could just be a runaway you know train over the next five six weeks based off their schedule matchups so now you sort of can identify you know maybe some buy lows here yeah, you can. And not only in trades, by the way, for buy lows, but a team that schedule is about to become easier in the next few weeks, the Giants as well. I know they've been awful and you could get every single player for pennies that are, you know, John, you brought up, which I think is smart. Evan Ingram, you need a tight end. I yeah. mean, you can easily buy low on Evan Ingram right now. Oh, for sure. And, that, and, that, Evan Ingram owners want nothing to do with Evan Ingram. Right, right. <laughs> so I'm wondering if another week goes by, People are start dropping them, and this isn't an easy week for them either. They they're at the Rams. Yeah, so like, the Rams. This the is going to be another bad week for Evan Ingram. You know, it's gonna get better after that. That's Did you thing. see McVeigh's poker quote? Yeah, on it, he's having trouble deciphering the Giants' defense. Yeah, he like, doesn't know how to game plan for the Giants. Yeah, um, can't game plan for what's not there. Right. Yeah, true, I guess, because they're basically a ghost defense at this point. I mean, <laughs> they're they, not good I, in it. I actually picked them in DFS last week. I mean, the 49ers are at, what, 50% ineffectiveness right they now? They were like 13% owned, the 49ers defense. I mean, the Giants defense. So people thought, like, they had an opportunity to do something. Yeah, because it was going to be Nick <laughs> Mullins and no yeah. George Kittle and, you know. But, okay. yeah, that, that didn't work in their favor because the, the Niners hung, what, 31 yeah. points on them? Yeah. Wilson had two touchdowns. McKinnon had a touchdown. Yeah, it was not good. No, not I guess at they all. fixed that turf. Huh. They didn't. They they still got guys hurt. Jordan Reed is out. <laughs> yeah. Now the NFLPA wants all grass fields, apparently. Yeah. By the way, you guys excited for the Thursday night football game? Broncos, Jets? God, I had, to, I had to write up that for the uh, NFL matchup report that's coming out on Thursday. Um, and, yeah, I had to, you know, swallow the vomit that was trying to make its way back up. It's going to be a big Melvin Gordon week, you know? I think that's probably about the only player that you can rely on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to think of Rippin. Uh, right, yeah, Rippin. Uh, Craig Mish on the on the Wager Alarm uh, live stream, you know, previewing this game a little bit, you know, seemed to think, like, he wasn't the worst college quarterback. He wasn't a great college quarterback. And he thought, like, maybe there, you know, because it's the Jets' defense, he could be serviceable. It's going to be an ugly. I mean, obviously, we're not expecting much here, but if you're looking just talent-wise, at least the the Broncos still have better players active outside of the quarterback position, right? Like, yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not there, but Judy's look good. Hamler's been okay. You know, they still have Fant. They still have Melvin Gordon. I think Phil Lindsay returned to practice. Like, they, like they're still going to have, like, a capable offense that's on the field. The Jets don't have an offense or a defense. Right. So, and, like, and by the way, the Jets have given up the seventh most points to running backs per game so far and the tenth yeah, most points I, to tight ends. We're going to get a lot of Melvin Gordon on this one. And Noah Fant. Yeah, I could saw be a DraftKings sports book prop that I'm kind of intrigued by. Melvin Gordon, I think the line was 35 and a half receiving yards. I think he's going to go over that. I'd go over. Is there a total yards prop for Melvin Gordon? I'd be interested in taking a look at that one. No, I, not that I saw. By the way, guys, I was talking to Ronus about this matchup too. And one thing that Ronas brought to my attention that I, I think was smart and everything, and that's if you're looking for someone to rely on maybe for season long, what about streaming defenses, guys? What about either defense? You go after the Jets or the Broncos. I don't no. want to play a bad defense, though. That's, like, my problem, right? Like, we did that last week, you know, when we thought the Giants, you know, how good could possibly be this, you know, 49ers team and the Giants. I mean, the spoke. Jets are just pathetic. I mean, if I know, anything, the I Broncos know. defense should have an easy time. They should. And they're home, right? It's, they're in Denver or do I have that wrong? No, it's in New York. Uh, okay, so I have it wrong. Well, then I don't know. 
<laughs> if it was Endeavor, maybe I, I would you know think about it a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, I guess he could try to swing one of the defenses and take a dart throw. But I don't know what you're expecting in there. The secondary in Denver is more hurt than it's been. Every week they progressively lose another cornerback or safety. That's true. You know, yeah. they don't have a pass rush to speak of. So, I yeah, mean, because Vaughn Miller's been out since week one, yeah. since before yeah, week and, one. So, we went out and they just they just had to place another corner on IR. Like, it's just it's an absolute, you know, shit show out there with these teams. So, I don't know. If, you, if you're in a bind, if you're in a pinch, if you're in a team that maybe like your defense is going up against Seattle this week or Dallas this week or something like that, and you need to make a move, then yeah, go ahead and give it a shot with those two. But, uh, you know, it's not something I'm jumping for. Guys, let's get to a fun segment that we do on this show, and it's called the Idiot of the Week. So here's the deal. I'm going to start with the Idiot of the Week. And this is – I'm not going to say where I was and who I was with, but I was, at, let's just say, a part of a small gathering last week, a small wedding gathering. Here's the deal. If you break a glass – on a dance floor that's not good number one you might want to tell someone and not just run away from the problem so that people don't step on the glass hurt themselves cut themselves you know that's something but then when you break about 10 minutes later a second glass on the dance floor maybe you're just a little too intoxicated and you shouldn't be on the dance floor and then when you fight to get back on the dance floor, that's right. I saw someone at this event break three glasses on the dance floor. And that person kept essentially putting glass after glass on the dance floor. Glass all over the floor. Very dangerous. Too dangerous. So that particular person, without disclosing any other details, is my idiot of the week. And I even said at the time to the person I was standing next to, I am definitely going to call this person out on some kind of show. John and Pemba. So uh, my idiot of the week, and I, I'll, I actually uh, have two sort of, uh, one of course is a video that's going around on Twitter of the Tampa Bay Lightning. They just won the Stanley Cup, obviously. Uh, you know, sort of a thing with the Stanley Cup is you drink from the Stanley Cup after you win. They, they go around, they celebrate. Uh, but there's a video going around of the um, the players pouring beer into the Stanley Cup and then dumping it into a line, basically, of fans. Uh, so basically, all of these people are sharing the same drink uh, out of the Stanley Cup, and they're trying to pour it into the mouth. But there's a lot of people that are putting their mouth right on the Stanley Cup from the same spot. Going back with trans transferring COVID potentially. Uh, yeah, this is definitely a good way to do it. Um, you know, just <laughs> zero regard from the fact that you're all basically uh, drinking from the same glass. Yeah, it is in Florida where recently they did. I think last week they still had 3,000 positive cases in a single day. Uh, the day that uh, their governor decided to lift all possible restrictions. It was the same day they had 3,000 positive tests come in. So, uh, congrats to the Lightning for winning the Stanley Cup, and now congrats to spending your entire offseason in quarantine. Um, my idiot of the week happened. We are recording this on Wednesday. It's about 10.45 at night right now, Eastern Time. My idiot of the week happened about three hours ago. Um, that goes to MLB. And the decision to push back the start of the Yankees-Indians Game 2 uh, to, quote-unquote, play in a better weather window. Okay, when I first saw it was delayed, I was like, oh, must be raining, you know, they're going to make that call, they'll play when it opens up. Well, turns out it wasn't raining when they delayed it. Turns out when they decided to start the game, it was raining. And about 25-mile-an-hour winds. And it was so bad, you literally, it was foggy watching on television, like, to see the... the batter when they were shooting from the, the standard center field camera it was hard to see the the home plate uh you know catcher and, and umpire and whatnot it was that bad so then after about oh just long enough for the indians to get a three-run lead they were like hey let's call the game and and wait this storm out so mm -hmm. congrats on mlb for delaying a game in perfectly good weather for 40 minutes and then playing in a monsoon 
yeah. not the right call, not a good look for the playoffs. Uh, the last time I remember that happening, I think it was the 09 World Series when the Phillies let the rain just come down and muddy the track so the Rays couldn't steal all the bags they were known to steal. Uh, that's about what it looked like tonight. So not a good, not a good look there, MLB. That is what we call not ideal, guys, and those are our idiots of the week. We are going to do something a little bit different on the Family Times podcast, but, guys, something we have to talk about first is with the conclusion of the regular season of Major League Baseball, we have to talk about what happened in our Family Times Listener League for the fantasy baseball season and the final standings, guys. We would have to congratulate our guy, the doc himself, Andy Spiteri. Andy, out of nowhere, was not leading. And all of a sudden, at the tail end of the season, jumped up the standings and won by three and a half points with 91 points, guys. The gas doc himself takes the first ever Family Times Listener League. I just had far too many injuries. I finished eighth. I was basically sitting in sixth all season. I just like couldn't overcome the things that were happening to my team. Yeah, I finished seventh. I think I got up as high as maybe fourth at one point. Um, and then I just had, yeah, my team struggled to, to – the OPS was not a strong category for me. My team was striking out way too much. Um, and then I think I missed a couple of key starts from like Jack Flaherty and, and – um, Whatnot. So, yeah, I saw that. I was actually about to talk about that. So, I finished in second place. I was contending for most of the year. I had a very nice draft. I picked up some nice solds, guys, which was very awesome and helped. This is my one of the first leagues I've ever played with OPS, too, which was also fun. So, I got second place. Al Koalas. So, Al Cola who joined this league. He actually was in first place for most of the year. So he ties in second with me with 87 and a half points. Vesper after that, want to give these guys some shout outs. So our buddy Chance, definitely in fourth place with 81. Twin Power, our buddy Happy. And then we have KM Elite there. So with KM Elite, our buddy Charles. So I don't know if that was the K. Oh, Kangas Man. Kangas. Yeah. Kangas Man. Congrats to the Kangas man. He got sixth place. The seventh place team was you, Cells, right? The yes. bad luck Annie Charms. Yep. In Peba eighth, as you mentioned, Sin City Heat, who was Scott, Scott Frankel, buddy there. Then we had Tom's tip top team in 10th place. That's right. You get a shout out even when you don't win in this league. And that is our buddy Tom. And then Planet 10, which is Evar. So Evar Anderson. I was shocked. Evar with the low finish. Look at that. Come on, Evar. You're better than that. <laughs> and then at the bottom of the standings, geez, our buddy, oh, someone named Justin finishing in last place. That's bad representation, <laughs> Justin H. I'm not going to say your last name, but I'm just saying your name is Justin. You can't finish in last place, okay? But Planet 10, Evar. Oh, my God, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little disappointing from Evar. But then again, I finished seventh, so I can't really talk. I thought I was going to have a better year than that. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was, you know, it was fun getting the Tuesday baseball again. It was kind of a weird, kind of a weird year also for my big money league. It was not great. I took Christian Yelich number one overall because I was concerned about Trout. And turns out Christian Yelich forgot how to hit this year. Um, literally batted under 200 the entire season. I took Trout, and not only did I take Trout fifth overall, but I built around Trout in case that the worst fears came true and he was going to be out, and I said I was going to do that. And yep. that's and it's a successful way to do things. It's proven because I got second place in this league full of competitors. So it's proven that you can take a risk in the first round and still build around the position, especially if it's an outfielder, if you want to take a risk in the first few rounds. That's what I did, guys. I got Trout. And then I built a big outfield around him after that. I still went heavy on outfield just so I can make up for him. Guys, let's get to a fun segment. For the first ever Family Times Family Table. 
And all we're going to do is we're going to bring seven things to the table. Could be a piece of fantasy advice. Could be a piece of life advice. Could be a piece of toast if the guys really want to. At the end of the day, it could be seven of anything, a movie, a show that they like. So we are going to make it as random as possible. And now that should be able to come up with a lot of things each week. It could be a way to handle yourself on social media. It could be a way to get your question answered quickly in a respectful manner on fantasyalarm.com. We all have a lot of questions. The guys like respect, respect given, respect earned, you know, advice. So guys, let's try this exercise out. The first ever family table. Who should give the inaugural option. I think it should be our managing editor, John Impemba. What do you think, John? You want to take yeah. the honor? Sure. So uh, this is something that I mentioned to you guys right before we came on air. Uh, and there's probably like a little bit of a, a lesson to be had with this. Uh, it's sort of, a, you know, how to negotiate trades potentially. And I want to see what your uh, opinions here. So I was approached in a league where I am, and again, Unfortunately, 0-3 fancy. I basically have a similar team to what I have in our Alarm After Hours League. Uh, so I'm trying to make some moves. I get offered uh, a trade of Tyler Boyd, C.D. Lamb, and David Montgomery for Miles Sanders and Michael Thomas. Not going to do that. Too much to give up for those guys. You know, Thomas is coming back this week. But I am 0-3, so I'm at least interested to try to get, you know, some better players in that deal coming back. So I reject it. Counter the offer, send back Michael Thomas and David Johnson to the, the owner. He replies back quickly. He says, how about Kareem Hunt instead of David Johnson? I say, sounds good. No problem. Let's do the deal. And then he tells me, never mind. You said yes too quickly to that. And decided <laughs> that he doesn't want to do the trade anymore. He doesn't even want to do the David Johnson trade. Instead, he retells me that he'll only do the Miles Sanders trade. So right. where's the trade etiquette? You know, we're negotiating back and forth. You are okay with one. I agree to the trade that you offered, and then you pull it back because you said it was too quick to say yes. What kind of deal is that? John, I'm going to teach you a quick lesson when it comes to trade etiquette. Here's what you need to do. If you really like the trade, because people do get very paranoid about that kind of stuff. I've had to deal with that too, that when someone even talking to me, what you do to neutralize the situation when he's like, how about Kareem Hunt and said, You'd be like, hey, propose the trade like that, and I'll get back to you. I'll think about it a little bit. I'll get back to you. Get it on. Get get the proposal, and then boom, you can accept it. Yeah, I, I kind of like, like tell him to propose it to you. Yeah, well, I, 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 I tend to do. I didn't expect the negotiations obviously to go that way when we were having the discussion. You know, like you're you're negotiating back and forth with a trade offer. It gets sent. He counters it. You say sure. And then he's like, whoa, you, you replied too quick to that message. Uh, let me rethink it. And now he won't do anything but the original offer that he sent, which I already said was too much. So, yeah, dude, uh, in that kind of situation, yeah, always you gotta, play awesome. Get the yeah. deal proposed. Yeah. And my, in, in, I've had that happen too. And I'll be like, hey, let me finish up what I'm working on here and I'll get back to you. Or let me think about it for a little bit because we'll propose it, but propose it. Right. Send the some people get some people do get paranoid that if you say yes that quickly, it's like you want to get rid of that player and you're pulling one over on them and right. they, they start to second guess, do I really want that player if he's willing to give it up that fast? Right. And so I get it's it's bad trade etiquette by that guy, but I, I have seen owners do that. So there's not really anybody at fault in this particular instance. It's just you know, if, if negotiations start, I tend to just let it, you know, I'll say, hey, let me finish up what I'm working on for a second. I'll get back to, you know, send me a, you know, propose it, post it in the league or whatever. And I'll and I'll get back to you in a little bit. And then even though I know I'm going to do it, it makes the person feel like I'm weighing the deal and it's a more fair offer. Or they're not getting one pulled over on them. There you go, John. You learned a very valuable lesson that I think a lot about the psychology of fantasy football. I've been teaching a lot about that and on baseball. After Hours lately. And What's baseball. That? I said, and baseball. I've had that happen well, in baseball. Too. Again, my initial idea was that he was going to send the offer right. when he was the one that proposed it. So I was yeah, saying, no, get sure. the offer. Just get the offer. 
Just say you'll think about it. So you just tell them to. But if I said just send the offer, yeah, you know, maybe that. I guess maybe I don't know. I still feel like it's a generic response. Once I was once I showed the willingness to do that trade, I feel like he got scared. Well, I well, I think the other thing about sending the offer, like making the formal offer, is that you can then say, well, you know, because some sites actually show you the breakdown of the trade. Whereas if you're just mentally looking it over, it might be harder to visualize. So it's like he saw that like Yahoo said he would lose five points or something like that. He's like, whoa, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. Well, basically. that's stupid because you shouldn't be you should be trading out of need. And that means sometimes you're not right. gonna get the best player in the deal. And you gotta And get also them. you shouldn't take Yahoo seriously because every time they said I'm gonna fail a draft, I win it. And every time they say I get an A, I lose the league. So True that. Yahoo's rankings and projections and Really, any sites. It's not just Yahoo's. It's really any sites. You shouldn't just be going based off of, ooh, this site said I'm going to lose the trade. Well, um, okay, but what happens if he outscores one of those projections by 10 points? Then you win the trade according to, you know. So. Sells, you're number one. John, that was a good start to the family table. I think you brought up something very important. Don't be overeager when in negotiations. Ask for the offer to be sent, say you'll ponder it, and then boom, there you go. So my number one is going to be watch the games. I know it's tough if you don't pay for NFL packages that you can kind of just be pigeonholed into watching whatever uh, your local area suggests is the game that they want to put on, Uh, though there are ways of getting around that. We won't actually discuss that here because – (laughs) <laughs> They're not technically approved. Um, but watch as many games as possible. You can also go back and, and watch like the game pass on NFL.com. It basically shrinks the game without commercial breaks, so it takes less time. Don't just box score surf. There's a lot of things you can't learn by box score surfing. And a perfect example of that is a few weeks ago, Jerry Judy, as we pointed out on this podcast, had a couple of deep plays that fell right through his hands, right? So if you look at the box score, it's not his stats aren't going to be that great. But if you watch the game, you'll know, okay, well, it could have been 70 more yards on two, on two catches because he had them fall through his hands. So um, that's an important thing is if you watch the box score, maybe a guy had a touchdown taken back because of an offensive holding call or offensive pass interference or whatever it is. Um, So you got to watch the games before you just go, oh, this guy based on box score sucks because you don't know the extenuating. And like John pointed out with with Leonard Fournette, the reason he got more carries in week two is because Ronald Jones fumbled. I missed that part of the game, so I didn't realize that Leonard Fournette was – that was why he got more carries. So if you just box score surf, you go, oh, well, they're just going to rotate. No, it's actually Ronald Jones, and if he doesn't fumble, he gets the carries. What if you play-by-play search? Like you go on ESPN, you miss a few games, but you look diligently and take notes on the play-by-play. Is that better? That's at least better than just box score surfing. Um, yeah. It's not perfect because There's all it'll tell you is how they're playing. You know, right? It'll it'll tell you that like going back to Jerry Judy, all it'll say is incomplete to Jerry Judy, but you don't know was it tough coverage? Was he wide open? It went through his hands. Was it a badly thrown ball that was in the vicinity of Jerry Judy? All it says is incomplete to him, and it was a deep pass. Here's here, so, here's a great example of that fancy. Let me go ahead. Uh, and, and pull this one up for you in terms of what it reads like as a scoring play versus what it was uh, as a scoring play here. Uh, of course, the computer is now all of a sudden going to be painfully slow. <laughs> all right, here we go. Uh, scoring play. Uh, we have uh, Alvin Kamara catches 52-yard touchdown pass from Drew Brees. Was that what that play was, or was it a screen pass in which Kamara broke five tackles Yep. And got into the end zone. And if you actually read it on NFL.com, it'll say that Drew Brees threw it for negative four or six yards and Kamara took it for the 52 or, <laughs> yeah. or 58 yards. So it'll actually show you, yeah, it was a screen pass and Kamara did basically all of the work. It was not a deep pass to Kamara right. on a seam. So, yes, yeah, surfing 
an in-depth play-by-play is at least better than doing box scores. But watching the games may give you a different feel for uh, how the guys are actually playing or why perhaps, for example, the Vikings pass offense broke out in week three. It's because they spent so much time building up the running game in the first two games that now everybody plays up to stop the run of Dalvin Cook, and that leaves more room in the secondary for the wide receivers to operate and therefore more open passing lanes for Kirk Cousins to hit uh, guys like Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen running their routes. That is why we're bringing all this to the family table. We're all learning a few things tonight, making our fantasy football lives better. Watch the games. Nothing's more certain than seeing it from the naked eye, and especially if you watch your teams more than once. You'll learn a lot more than watching Red Zone. Tell you that much. Mine is going to be a little rant. It's not going to be a long rant. I could make it a long rant. I could talk for about 10 straight minutes on this. Doc Rivers is a crappy coach. He's a bad coach. He's not a good NBA coach. I said it. He was given his championship with Boston. Couldn't do anything beforehand in Orlando. Leaves Orlando a few years later. They go to the championship. So in Boston, he wins the one title that he was pretty much handed with the original super team. Then in the Clippers, who've never been to a Western Conference final, this guy has blown 3-1 lead after 3-1 lead. You could say he's a good emotional leader all you want. He's not a good game planner. He's not a good coach. He continues going to his studs. He just doesn't use any of his depth, and he closes his eyes and hopes that one of his stars will score and start to get hot shooting. Well, that doesn't work like that. That doesn't work like that. You got to switch up the offense. You got to switch up the defense. You got to put players on new guys. It's funny. It brings me back to the last dance where I know I can at least respect a coach like George Carl who tried putting other guys on Jordan. Then you get to Gary Payton and then you go back to the other guys and then you realize only Gary Payton can guard him. Doc Rivers doesn't do that kind of thing. Doc Rivers is not a good coach. Now the Philadelphia 76ers are looking at Doc Rivers. Why? Makes no sense. He's going to save them. Nobody believes in him. His own son makes fun of him. His own son goaded him into a technical foul earlier in this year. His own son. He's not a good coach. That championship might as well be tainted. I'm sorry, John. No disrespect. But that shouldn't be the reason that all of a sudden Doc Rivers is his Hall of Fame awesome coach. He's the most overrated coach, not only in NBA history, in sports history. Wild take. Uh, largely overrated because his teams history. have always underachieved. Uh, even those Celtics teams only won once. Uh, you know they probably should have at least had another one in there. Um, you know they blew a huge lead in the second um, Lakers series uh, that they had there uh, to allow you know Kobe to take over. I know they lost Kendrick Perkins. A lot of people point to that as being a factor, but ultimately uh, they should have at least had two championships there in Boston. Uh, had strong teams year in, year out uh, with the Clippers. Uh, was n- uh, never able to, you know, finish the deal. They handed him the finals MVP from the year before, gave him Paul George, and then this year again, uh, you know, wasn't able to get it over the hump. And, and there was no one really to blame, you know. I-, I feel like at least in the NBA, coaching is probably one of the lesser important positions. I mean, how many times has LeBron James won a title with, you know, Ty Lue as the coach? You know, is Ty Lue drawing up plays or is it just the players? So, like, I, I feel like, well, Doc didn't, doesn't really do much to add to the team. Uh, ultimately, for whatever reason, the teams that he is coaching just underperform, underachieve. Maybe it's just poor overall composition of the, the bench players or the, the, you know, the way they want to play the game. But... Uh, yeah, he's still going to end up somewhere else. And, and Philadelphia, it's not honestly a terrible spot for him. I, I, I still think that Doc is, is going to be a better, you know, manager than what they had before. Uh, you know, good luck with that. I agree. I agree. I'm just saying. I, 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 I think he could be a egos? better player's coach. Is it egos in Philadelphia? Because. It seems to me that their mix of players just don't play together. It's not, I, e- no, it's not egos. They their their roster composition is horrible. They should well, they need more outside shooting to go with Simmons and Embiid who don't shoot outside. I'm they gonna need give you that means, They need to play in and out. They don't have it. So I agree with John on that. They're very top heavy. I don't think people like Joel Embiid 
I think that Joel Embiid might be a little clownish, doesn't take it seriously. Clearly, this team has a problem when they're on the road in normal times and normal circumstances. I mean, the way they played at home versus the road was on both ends of the spectrum. And so I think that people and I think the teammates don't really like Joel Embiid. He has a conditioning I, problem. And I think they that shows up. You know, they and know I that he's, he's not pompous. working. I think Joel Embiid is pompous. Yeah. I think he thinks he's the best center in the NBA, that the league wants him to be the mold. And by the way, I'm just saying this. I'd rather have what Bam Adebayo can do than Joel Embiid. That might be a hot take, but I think Bam could do would, much more. Well, here's the thing. Embiid can be all of those things if he had Adebayo's motor, right? Like, if he had if he had the chip on his shoulder that Bam has, you know, to play in night in, night out, to be the most improved player, to, you know, do everything he can to be, you know, emerge as a star – well, Embiid basically was drafted as the process. So he had the ego. Right. You know, the talent is – don't get me wrong. I, in my opinion, talent for talent, Joel Embiid is the best center in the NBA. I, I think that on both ends of the floor, if he wants to be a dominant rim protector, he can be a dominant rim protector. He can step outside and shoot. He shouldn't, but he he's not – he's he I was, he can hit threes if he needs to. You know, in his post game, and he's, he's, he's got the whole bag. It's the effort. It's the it's the willingness to put in the work. It's a, it's a lot of different things that go on with Joel Embiid. Uh, and yeah, I think he bought into the process a little bit too much. Uh, he's also had a lot of injury history, so his durability is certainly uh, a factor there as well. But um, you know, the t- it, it's almost like a set, seeing him play at like seventy five percent capacity all the time. He never, you know, he doesn't ever go full tilt unless he's playing. Andre Drummond, who he just has like a personal <laughs> hatred for. Then he goes 100%. <laughs> he got into the fight with Towns as well. But, John, let's get to your number two. What else are you bringing to the table? The second thing I'm bringing to the table here, and, and Fancy and I used to do a wrestling minute. Uh, so I also have the counter clock on. We were allowed to discuss, uh, you know, the wrestling uh, world. And they did something finally that I wish they did with somebody else. Uh, and that was Vince McMahon allowed Roman Reigns to turn heel. Uh, this was something that I had wished they had done with John Cena uh, during his epic run at least once. You know, you, you had Cena as Superman uh, for nearly a decade and a half, essentially, is unstoppable, unbeatable. It didn't matter. He came in as a heel when he was the doctor of thugonomics, but basically from Cena Nation on, he never once turned, and I understood it. He never wanted Hogan to turn. He didn't like those things back and forth. But, like, he allowed The Rock to turn. He's allowed Triple H to turn a bunch of times. Like, he allowed a lot of those Attitude Era guys to go back and forth between heel and and face. And and it really played well to their character development. And it felt like they were trying to force Roman Reigns on us as the next John Cena, as the next good guy, the next guy. And And everybody hated him. And what they finally did was what I wish they did with Cena. And Cena's better on the mic than Roman Reigns is, but they put him with Paul Heyman and they turn them heel and Heyman can get pretty much anybody over that he works with just by having it. They changed the gimmick. Uh, and for wrestling fans like Justin and I, it's refreshing to see them being open to this. And now I'm sort of excited to see Roman Reigns in a ring, excited to see the storylines that they're going to put him in and see how his character develops as the tribal chief, which is sort of his new right. character. Uh, and he finally dropped the vest. If you watch the Class of Champions, you know, that was a big thing. He was always wearing the shield vest, even though the shield hasn't been around for like six years. Uh, he finally dropped the vest uh, and he sort of just completed the changeover of his heel character. Yeah, it's very slow. He's right now being the silent and deadly predator. And that, I think, is a smart way to do things because it'll allow you to react to the crowd. And that's when you're going from face to heel, as wrestlers do. It's all about crowd reaction, and it's all about playing with that. By him not talking so much, by him not motioning to the crowd and keeping his focus on just being the most dominant person and saying, this is his WWE, this is his island, then he's learning how to be able to cope with the crowd. And then soon enough, after he's beating other opponent after opponent, he will start lashing out. He will be the guy. And unlike Brock Lesnar, where Paul Heyman did all the talking, he often cuts off Paul Heyman and does his own talking 
making Paul Heyman not really his friend, but actually a business partner that gets him better opportunities and his family as well. So good job there, John and Pemba, bringing something to the table. Back to Wrestling Minute. Matt Sells, what's your second one? We're going to do three each here for what we're bringing to the family table. What are you bringing to the table, Sells? What's number two? I'm going to go way off the board here. And this was an article I read earlier today. Um, There is a zoo in Lincolnshire, uh, England, that uh, during quarantine, their population of African gray parrots learned to cuss. They learned, like, had potty mouths. And then when they were talking and cussing, uh, the zookeepers started laughing about it. So now the parrots are laughing when they cuss. So, in order to fix this problem, the zoo has sent the African gray parrots to an off-site location with other parrots who apparently talk nicer. And so, they're hoping that the parrots that talk nicer can unteach the cussing parrots how to cuss. And so, I'm thinking they're just going to now have more parrots that are going to cuss. Because, I don't know about you, but parrots are pretty smart. And once they learn to cuss, I don't think they're going to forget it. So I thought that was pretty entertaining and pretty funny that uh, they had cussing parrots at this zoo in England. Wow. That is bringing a lot to the table right there. They're not worried about those other parents being bad influences, huh? Apparently not. That was my first thought was, oh, great. Now you're just going to have more parrots that are going to cuss. And now they're just not going to be. They were apparently cussing at the the people, like the, the zoo goers. Who were coming back to the zoo after quarantine? These parrots were cussing at them, I guess, which is what got them in trouble. So they, they apparently got like sent to detention, basically. <laughs> hmm. That's wild. That's wild. I'm going to bring something to the table. So while the NBA Finals is going on, and it's looked like the Heat are losing another player to an injury every five minutes, it seems like as they're getting completely dominated by the Lakers in Game One. I'll say this on NBA TV right now, they're showing replays of dunk contests and they're zooming some of the competitors from that dunk contest. I'm going to say this. Everybody focuses on Vince Carter and his dunk contest victory in 2000, Kobe Bryant's in 1997. Besides Vince Carter, the most flashiest dunker in any of those contests. And John, you might remember this player from the Golden State Warriors. Jason Richardson. Jay Rich was one of the most flashiest dunkers. You want to go and see an awesome dunker, underrated player who, yeah, people knew him, but was more of a journeyman, wasn't an all-star, wasn't a superstar, but at the same time, maybe he made one all-star team. I'm not sure about that. But go and watch his dunk contests from like 2002 and 2003 and even 2004 and you'll see just how acrobatic this guy is in the air. He does stuff that you're not supposed to do. Jason Richardson, one of my favorite players in the NBA all time. Have you guys ever heard of this player before? Yeah, wasn't he on the Warriors that beat the number one seed Mavs in the playoffs? I think he was still on the team by then. I think he was part of my favorite Warriors team, wasn't it, with him Steven Jackson and Baron Davis, just the yeah, that, gun Warriors. Yeah, the Mavs. yeah they were the eighth seed that beat the number one seed Mavs, the first eighth seed to win in the NBA playoffs. If I'm not, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. They they were probably they were the third eighth seed. They were the third, yes, behind the '94 Denver Nuggets and the 1999 New York Knicks. Okay. That's the only reason you know that stat, I assume. Yeah, no, don't cross the NBA. Because the, the Knicks is involved in it. If the Knicks weren't involved, he wouldn't have known it. I, the that first time the Knicks when I the said problem, the so. Denver Nuggets beating the Sonics. <laughs> and, oh, and, uh, Sean yes, Kemp. Was, yes, he was. Yes, Sean Kemp. And yes, Jason Richards. And that was actually his final year on the Golden State Warriors. And they still had those, what was it, the orange and... Like, like navy the navy, blue back unit? then they had like the navy blue with like right. the diagonal warriors in orange. Yeah, kind of looked like the Virginia University of Virginia Cavaliers. Their, their their fan base, I remember, their crowd was chanting BS at the at the refs during one of those games because there was a foul call that they clearly did not believe was the appropriate call, and they were yelling BS. Yeah, uh, Dirk was like one of the best drives. 
<laughs> in some of those playoffs I've ever seen. So, but yes, that's from that team. Jason Richardson, one of my favorite players of the 2000s. And those dunk contests in 02 and 03 especially were magical. Go on YouTube, find them, have a good time. John and Pemba, you're number three, your final one. Yes, this is actually a thing that we talked about on Twitter today. Uh, it was kind of an offshoot of a different conversation with Sean Mitchell uh, tweeting out that he uh, browns his hamburger meat in a pan uh, when he's doing making tacos. He wanted to know if that was appropriate or not. Apparently his wife uh, didn't approve of that. Uh, and an offshoot of that, and uh, some advice I want to give everybody here, is when you're making scrambled eggs, to cook it in a small saucepan instead of a regular frying pan. Uh, this is something that uh, Chef Gordon Ramsay had taught me on a YouTube video. Uh, Dan Malin, also of the FA family, has also started making his scrambled eggs this way. They are an absolute delight. I suggest going on YouTube and finding the video of Gordon Ramsay making scrambled eggs in a small saucepan. Uh, they come out fluffier, thicker, smoother. There's better scrambled eggs than I've ever eaten in my life now. I'll never go back. So got to check it out. A mini Chef John segment here for you. Make your scrambled eggs in a small little saucepan. Ooh. Yep, I actually don't call my smallest skillet or pan a saucepan. I call it an egg pan because I always make my scrambled eggs in that pan. And I have for a while because, yeah, you do get fluffier, better scrambled eggs in those pans than you do in a bigger, uh, you know, deeper skillet or, or frying pan because the heat just... The, sun, the surface area, it flattens yeah. them out. It doesn't allow... It to kind of like puff up and get off. So definitely got to check it. Yep. Sells, your final. My final one uh, goes out to, you know, we are an online society now. We communicate with people through text. We communicate with them through uh, different messaging apps, whether it be Google Hangouts or Facebook Messenger or DMs on Twitter or even tweets or online chats, whatever it is. Let's get some etiquette going there, and please don't use caps when you're asking questions or talking to people. It indicates that you're yelling, and it indicates that you're too impatient to wait your turn to have things answered. Uh, I know you think this is not a you. This is a you in a general sense that that people tend to believe that they that their question is more important than anybody else may have come before or <laughs> after them. But that's not the case. If you simply wait your turn, it'll get answered. And if it doesn't, then say, you know, apologize and say, hey, sorry, my question got skipped over. Do you mind answering it? Don't use capitals to ask the question because it's taken as you're yelling at somebody and you think that yours is more important it's just not proper to do it so that's my little i guess life advice really just don't use now if you're perfectly excited in responding to somebody on facebook and you're going like omg or whatever fine whatever but like if you're chatting with somebody or in a group chat situation Capital, you know, all caps is not is is not a great look. Can I tack something onto that, please? Yes. And when you're asking a question and you're writing a player whose name is a very common last name. Yeah, like Johnson. Yes. There are like a lot D. Of Johnson. There are two D. Johnsons on the same damn backfield. Yes. David Johnson and Duke Johnson are both on the Texans. Listen, and and no nicknames, please. Yes, I know Bobby Trees. A lot of you refer to him like Robert Woods that way. But please, be careful with the nicknames as well. Because you're going to blame us if we're wrong. And we at least want to know that we had the right players that we were considering when and we got the answer. it's possible that the person you're asking of is A, not aware of the nickname, or B, gets, gets the nickname for that person confused with another player. Because right. It sometimes happens. There are players with similar sounding nicknames. So But yeah. be patient because we we get a thousands of questions and we're right. going Somebody to try asked to answer the other it. day about a flex question with D Johnson. I'm like, okay, like, that Twitter threatens Johnson to throw us is in jail because of this stuff. So you know what? 
we're doing everything we can and we will get to your question we're all about the family you ride with us we ride the entire season my final one is the caboose for what i'm bringing to the table guys you know it's often said that sequels aren't better than the original movie i disagree and it's i disagree with that too cells we're actually in agreement on something tonight i'm pretty surprised but a sequel that i like better than the original and i've officially determined this mighty ducks d2 is the best of the mighty Ducks series i'm putting it out there it's funny no stupid love story with gordon bombay and charlie conway's mom slowing everything down so nothing that, not too much Hans-related, nothing Hans-related at all that slows it down. It's funny. There are a lot of characters. It's got a little bit of everything. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is in it. Wayne Gretzky's in it. D2 Mighty Ducks is the best Mighty Ducks. Have you guys seen Mighty John, you haven't seen Mighty yes. Ducks, I'm guessing, right? Of course I've seen Mighty Ducks. Okay, yeah. good. Good. And they're all on Disney Plus anyway, so if, if you haven't, you really should check them out. I thought you were going to go with Bad Boys 2. As the quintessential sequel is better than the original because Bad Boys sucks, but mm. Bad Boys Two is an awesome movie. The one with uh, <laughs> I, you know what? I think I would take Rush Hour Two over the original. Rush, Rush Hour, Hour Two is definitely better than than the original. Right. Um, I mean, there are certain ones where it's not; it doesn't necessarily hold up. But like, yeah. right. I don't know. Die Hard is Die Hard Two. Taken two didn't hold up to Taken yeah. one. Hmm. No, that's because Taken one had the far better. Far some would say some would say the Godfather two is better than the first one. I disagree. I'm I'm a huge Vito Corleone fan, so they're I they're both better than Godfather three. So you know. Oh yeah, that's no competition. <laughs> so I mean, back to the second, Back to the Future. It's I don't think it's as good as the first, but it's very close. I like the second one. So that's what we're doing. We're bringing things to the family table. You can always tweet us at Fantasy Alarm, at the Salesman, at JM Pemba 777. Your boy, Fensty, at Fensty Sports. Guys, it's been real. The family is always with you. FantasyAlarm.com. The playbooks, the coaches, they are on the site. Get that TFS NFL playbook, man. We got a season and we got to win some quiche. It's almost holiday time and I'm not going out of pocket. Okay, not this year, not in 2020. We're ending it on a positive note. We got crushed enough. Now it's time for us to crush and win everybody's money and then pay for those holiday gifts for free because we always dominate. No other option. We just win.